Welcome to the Are You Menstrual podcast, where we dive deep into all things women's health to support you on your healing journey. I'm Amanda Montalvo, functional and integrative dietitian, also known as the Hormone Healing RD. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to keep learning, check out the podcast Patreon, where I share a bonus episode with additional downloadable resources each week. You can go to patreon.com forward slash hormone healing RD or check out the link in the show notes. We are on episode two of season five, talking about a holistic approach to optimizing cortisol. I feel like cortisol is a very trendy word <laughs> lately. Um, I often get questions about how do I optimize my cortisol levels? How do I lower cortisol is probably like the most common one. Or how do I raise cortisol if someone has done lab testing and they have very low levels? And so I thought I would put together an episode that goes through five main areas that I like to focus on when I'm thinking about how can I help this person have healthy cortisol levels because we don't always want to lower them or raise them. We want to understand why are they out of balance in the first place. So the five main areas that I'm going to cover are nourishment and blood sugar, of course, um, supporting minerals for a healthy stress response. And I'm going to go through some tips on how to do that. Light exposure is a big one. I'm going to talk a little bit about circadian rhythm too, but I have a previous episode on that. So I'm going to link it. Information, inputs, and stimulation. Another huge area for cortisol levels. And then talking about your daily rhythm. What does that look like? How can we support that to help, again, optimize? Because if we're not looking at all these areas and getting a full picture as to why cortisol is high or low, out of balance, whatever that imbalance may be for you, then it's, I just think it's doing a disservice and it's not going to help you get those long-term optimal levels of cortisol, you know, that's healthy and it's going to help you feel good. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> we're never going to get rid of all stress. I think that's something where now people know that stress isn't having too much stress, like isn't good for us. They know it's going to probably have some impact on their mental and physical health if it's in excess. And it's kind of like, okay, but what do we do about it? We live in a very fast paced society, right? It's difficult to limit our unavoidable stressors um, and manage the necessary ones, you know? So it's one of those things where I think that there's a lot we can do personally on a daily basis, but it can take time to work on building these habits. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, remember, you can always get additional resources, bonus episodes, and regular Q&As inside my Patreon. It's just patreon.com slash hormonehealingrd. I did a really good bonus episode for episode one of season five, where I talked about how to eat to support your hormones. It's a food journal. I That is going to be a huge part of how you're going to support healthy cortisol levels as well. Uh, and as always, before I dig in, just remember, I'm a dietitian, but I'm not your dietitian. So you want to make sure that any of the changes that I'm talking about making you would run by your provider before you implement anything just to make sure it's, you know, right for you because this isn't medical advice. All right. So let's dig into what happens when our body experiences a stressor and just like what cortisol is first, if anyone is not familiar. So cortisol is our body's main stress hormone. It's a big part of what allows us to respond appropriately to stress. So I understand like the people's concern around having healthy cortisol levels. I often find people are trying to lower their cortisol, um, but unless you've done lab testing that measures your cortisol levels, which I always recommend the Dutch urine test because you want you don't want to just see free cortisol. That's what saliva or blood levels look at, just free cortisol. It doesn't tell you how much your body's actually making. It just tells you how much is hanging out in your system. And those are two very different things. So I always recommend Dutch testing for cortisol levels. It's a urine test. Do it at home. We want healthy cortisol levels. And if they are high, it's usually because your body's probably really stressed. So my question is, why, why would we want to lower your cortisol levels if you are stressed? Because we want your body to respond appropriately to stress. And whenever I'm looking at cortisol panel on like a Dutch test, I'm always, if it is high and the person is stressed, I'm like, okay, you're having an appropriate stress response. So it's not always the cortisol that we want to change. It's usually the stress in our day to day, or maybe it's a, a deeper hidden stressor from something like a gut health issue. Um, maybe it's mental, emotional stressors in our lives. So 
trying to address more of like the why and what's causing that higher low level is the thing that I try to focus on. Um, and if your cortisol is too low, especially if you haven't done any testing, like I think a lot of people assume that it's high because they're like, I've been super stressed. I've been dealing with this stuff for a long time. Maybe they feel um, very like stimulated uh, and like they're constantly in fight or flight. If you lower that cortisol and maybe your levels aren't high or your body's not producing a lot and it's just kind of hanging out in your system because you have some dysfunction in your stress response, you're not going to feel good. You're probably going to be dealing with more fatigue. You're not going to handle stress as well, which does not feel good in your day to day. It basically means you don't have the capacity for things as much. Uh, and Overall, mentally and physically, you're probably not going to feel like yourself. You're probably not going to respond to exercise well or even have the motivation to do it. It can have a huge impact in your mood. So, you know, if you haven't done testing, don't just like willy-nilly take supplements for cortisol. Um, and before you do testing, I would say focus on all these areas first because most of the time we pay for this expensive testing and then like the recommendations that we're getting, we're like, oh, it's all the stuff that I should be working on. Like that's what's really going to improve it. Um, I just find that people are often looking for a supplement without addressing all those other areas and that's not going to really improve your cortisol long term. You cannot out supplement stress and you can't supplement yourself into healthy cortisol levels long term. Like you can't improve your stress response just with supplements because um, your your whole body will affect it. So what actually happens when we experience a stressor? I'm going to keep this super simple. So if I have practitioners listening, yes, I'm leaving some stuff out because I don't want to cause a bunch of confusion for people. I just want you to generally understand like what's happening when we experience a stressor. So number one, our brains are notified that there's a stress present. Now this could be mental, emotional, or physical stressor. It doesn't matter the type of stress. Your brain gets notified. Like you could have a stressor in your gut that you don't even know about and you still have this um, stress response happening. So your brain is notified of the stressor. Our hypothalamus, which is a gland at the base of our brain, activates our sympathetic nervous system. This is also known as fight or flight. And through this, this triggers our adrenal glands. These are, you know, I feel like everyone talks about their adrenals. Oh, my adrenals are exhausted. I have adrenal fatigue. Um, but your adrenals are only one part of the stress response. Your brain, your hypothalamus also communicates with literally every other uh, hormonal system in the body, communicates with your ovaries, your thyroid, um, your gut's going to have a big impact as well. So we never want to just isolate cortisol issues to the adrenals. We want to, again, like big picture, keep the whole person in mind. So your hypothalamus gets alerted, activates that sympathetic nervous system. Your adrenal glands then release stress hormones, the main one being cortisol, and then epinephrine and norepinephrine. Those are also adrenaline um, and DHEA. Those are like the big things, big players that are getting released. This increase in stress hormones then leads to more alertness. Um, that's why a lot of people uh, like an increase in stress can feel good. Like I think of when people are like, oh, I feel so good when I do intermittent fasting, usually like in the beginning before their body gets super depleted because they're like, I'm more alert, you know, when I haven't eaten yet. And I'm like, yeah, because you're running off of stress hormones, <laughs> your body's making cortisol. So you're more alert. Um, so it can, stress can feel good. That's why I think so many people are addicted to it. Um, but we get that more, we get more alertness, our heart rate increases, our blood pressure increases, and this all provides a big burst of energy. Um, this and it helps to deliver more oxygen to our tissues because our that heart rate and blood pressure are increasing more oxygen, more nutrients. Um, this is going to go to our muscles, our brain, and other essential organs. So stress typically that stress response can feel good when we're getting this too much over time, or we're like we don't have the resources to back it up, like minerals. Then you can feel very scattered and like it's too much. Um, but that's that's like a typical healthy stress response. Our breathing typically starts to pick up too, uh, because your body's trying to boost that oxygen supply and that's going to support any physical activity that we have to do, right? Maybe because again, your body doesn't know if it's like a mental or physical stressor, it's going to react the same way no matter what. We also get an increase in glucose in our system. So this is kind of the other part of the puzzle when it comes to the stress response. Yes, we're getting stress hormones. Yes, we're getting more oxygen and nutrients to different parts of the body, but we're also getting more glucose. And so your cortisol 
tells your liver to break down stored glucose um, and releases it into the bloodstream. And this is just a very quick and easy energy source for the body. So very important, helps us to have any sort of physical response that we may have to engage in when we're dealing with stress. Um, and it's one of those things where that's why your blood sugar can be higher in the morning, like if you're fasted, um, if your stress hormones are higher because it, that cortisol causes your liver to break down glucose for energy. The last big thing that's happening is the suppression of non-essential functions in the body. Our body's main goal is always going to be to keep us alive. So during a stress response, it's going to prioritize all those things that, like for that immediate survival response, and then it's going to delay things like digestion, reproduction, so that it can save that energy for what matters most, which is survival. So that that is our stress response in like a very short and brief <laughs> summary. Um, so our brain gets alerted, our hypothalamus tells our adrenals to make stress hormones like cortisol that ups our heart rate, our alertness, our energy, our glucose levels, um, and it leads to a suppression of non-essential functions like hormone production and digestion. So you can easily see, most likely by this point, how if we are in this state all the time, it can lead to health issues. And I think most people recognize that um, because we're not going to support those essential functions like digestion and hormone production. And over time, when we're constantly releasing these hormones, it can affect our mineral status, our sex hormones, our thyroid, so many different things. So we want a healthy stress response. We want to support a healthy stress response. We just want to make sure that we're not living in a way where we are in this state all the time. So the first big area to help address this and support a healthy stress response and make sure we're not in fight or flight is going to be nutrition and blood sugar. And uh, this is one where I truly believe it is one of the best ways to make your body more resilient to stress through the food that you're eating. If we can balance our blood sugar, we can minimize so many fluctuations in cortisol um, because if we have a blood sugar decrease, then we're going to have an increase in cortisol because our body's like, our blood sugar is too low. Again, survival mode kicks in and then it will tell our liver to release glucose into the bloodstream. Um, and so it's not terrible if we're doing that sometimes, right? It's, it's survival. But if we are you know, constantly skipping meals, not being mindful of that, then going for long periods without eating, then that can really have an impact on your stress hormones over time if we're doing that chronically. So that's a really big one um, and something where I talked all about this in episode one where I talked about how to eat to support your hormones. Uh, I went through kind of like how to create safety with nutrition. I did. I went through six main principles uh, that support your blood sugar, like nutrition strategies you can work on. And I talked about many other areas, but I would say if you haven't listened to that episode, I don't want to repeat everything here. Otherwise, it's going to be very long. Um, but please listen to that previous episode. I'll link it in the show notes. There's just a couple things I want to highlight from it because I think they're extra important. And if you haven't listened, I hope it encourages you to go check it out. Um, but eating enough and following a predictable routine most days or having like if you have like different types of days, having a routine for those types of days and having some sort of plan is incredibly important and helpful. If we are under eating, that's a stressor, right? That's a stressor in and of itself. If we're going really long stretches without food, again, another stressor that's going to lead to more cortisol release. So I know these two things can be really hard and they can take a lot of effort, especially if you're very far away from that right now, but they are worth the effort and they're usually the things that people are like, I know I should be doing, but I'm not. So then they try to do like lab testing and all this other stuff and like skip ahead to the more advanced stuff and they don't see the progress that they want. And it's because they're missing that foundation. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to find supplements to fix your cortisol levels, I'm probably not the person for you. But if you're like, I'm, I'm ready to focus more on the basics and the things that I know are going to help me long term then I would definitely listen to the episode. I go through how to know if you're eating enough and give specific steps. Um, I also have like the food journal bonus and Patreon, but that's like a huge part of it. Eating enough, eating regularly, some sort of predictable routine. Again, doesn't have to be the same exact thing. It's more just like a rhythm. Like, do you, does your body know that you feed yourself regularly? Once it does, that's huge. And it's so helpful for your hormones. 
The other big thing is nutrition strategies support, support blood sugar. Um, they're especially helpful for the stress hormones because of how they can impact cortisol, right? Low blood sugar equals more cortisol. And then that kind of puts you on a cortisol and blood sugar roller coaster the rest of the day. So I went through the top six in that episode. Definitely listen to it. I would say the number one that is the easiest to do, it, it doesn't require you to really change anything that you're already doing is to, and it's the first thing I have my clients do, is to prioritize protein-rich foods first. This helps to slow down how quickly you are getting that entire meal, all that glucose, the carbohydrates from that meal into your bloodstream. And that just leads to a smaller spike. Now, we don't want to never have blood sugar spikes, right? We want to have a healthy blood sugar response. We want to be able to handle glucose. But if we already have a lot of stressors in our day-to-day, or like if we're in a season of life that's like more physically demanding on our bodies, like I think of like pregnancy and postpartum um, or menopause. I mean, that's another big one where you've had hormonal shifts that are changing how your body responds to glucose. Then that's a time where making these changes and focusing more on like, how can I minimize like the, these big blood sugar spikes throughout the day and make it so they're more just like these tiny little waves versus like a big mountain, right? Eating your protein rich food first, or at least partly before you get the carbohydrate rich food in will help you do that. Again, you don't have to change anything else. It's like a very easy, quick win and it's a good habit to get into. So please listen to the whole first episode. If you if you feel like the nutrition aspect is one where you are lacking, um, and I really do think it's the most important for healthy cortisol levels, because again, like your food is going to have such a big impact on your blood sugar, and that's going to have a really big impact on your cortisol levels, then check out that episode. The next big area also has to do with food, um, but supporting minerals for a healthy stress response. So not only can we minimize like our, our stressors, unnecessary stressors, like, you know, not eating for long periods or having blood sugar imbalances. I would say those are like unnecessary. Those are things that you have control over. We can minimize those with nutrition, but we can also strengthen our body's ability to have a healthy stress response and handle stress with adequate minerals. It, minerals are huge. They work like spark plugs in the body. I've said this a million times. They're like helpers, right? So they don't just kick off reactions, but they help your body actually carry them out. They're called cofactors, which just means they help different processes happen. And without them, our body can't carry them out correctly. It has backup mechanisms, but they're not as strong. And then we start using other resources in the body and create other deficiencies. So if we can have adequate levels of certain minerals, then that can help us have an appropriate stress response. And one example um, is of how minerals are cofactors is stress. So one of the first minerals used up in the stress response is magnesium. We then will utilize sodium and potassium. And if magnesium gets depleted, say we don't have adequate levels or we're in the season of like chronic stress, then we're going to start to use up zinc. And then that's going to cause more potassium loss. So minerals all impact each other. They're very synergistic, meaning they work together. And if one gets used up or a level of one decreases, then it can also lead to more of a decrease in another mineral, like zinc and potassium. So when we don't have adequate levels of magnesium and sodium, our bodies are actually more stressed because they know that they can't respond to that same stress response appropriately. Um, for example, like magnesium was when I, when I did that magnesium deep dive, it's one where I had a great visual of like the body experiences a stressor, uses that magnesium, magnesium becomes deficient, and then that causes the body to experience a stressor again. Same thing with sodium. There's such important minerals that when they get depleted, our body experiences stress because it's like, okay, we need more of these in order to function properly. Um, so obviously we can minimize unnecessary stressors. It's important. It's helpful, but replenishing minerals and making sure you're eating enough and eating regularly and supporting your nutrition and nourishment on a daily basis is what's going to help you have a healthy stress response right now and in the future. So some of my top tips for replenishing minerals in the most simple way, you don't have to have lab testing in order to know whether or not you should do these is just one is generally salting your food. Um, that's a great way to get sodium on a regular basis. 
Sodium is one where I wouldn't go too hard on unless you have done lab testing, um, because if we increase it too quickly, like if we're like, okay, I'm going to start adding sea salt to everything and also having adrenal cocktails, if we have very low sodium levels when we do that, we can actually experience fluid retention um, because our body's trying to adjust to this increase in sodium that it is not used to. We can avoid that fluid retention if we also increase potassium because potassium, if it's, as we increase potassium, it helps get rid of excess sodium. So those are two minerals that work very closely together. But salting your food generally works for most people. Um, I don't think we need to overdo salt. I think people focus a lot on sodium and salt when they have stress concerns and not enough on potassium. Potassium is so important. Um, it's really important for healthy stress response, healthy blood sugar, healthy thyroid function, healthy digestion, and many more, um, and healthy blood pressure. So it's one of those where if you can focus on sodium and potassium first together, I think that that is like a great, great way to get started. It can help you in many different areas. Um, potassium is a really cool one where it can support optimal digestion, like motility in your gut. So a lot of our clients that are constipated, we work on upping their potassium and that's like one of the first things that really helps their constipation. Um, so really big one. My favorite ways to get potassium, you can get it from roots and fruits, of course, potatoes, tomatoes, winter squash, sweet potatoes, beets, parsnips, um, cooked spinach, cooked Swiss chard has like a ton of potassium in there. You can get, you know, 350 to 650 milligrams per one cup serving of those foods. So a good amount. Um, the recommended amount that I recommend for most people would be about 4,700 milligrams a day. If someone's like pregnant or breastfeeding, I'm usually like closer to five to 6,000 milligrams. Again, talk to your doctor. I'm not your dietitian. So I I don't know what's best for you, but generally that is a good amount um, for people in that season uh, or if they have a deficiency. So potassium from those food sources. I often get people that are like, what about low carb potassium sources? Easy. There's a ton of potassium in meat and seafood, beef, chicken, pork, salmon has a ton of potassium. I think it's like six ounces has like 700 milligrams or something. So that's a great one to get. Um, cod and shrimp are another good one as well. So even just like ground beef has like at least 400 milligrams and like a four ounce serving, I believe. So that's significant. You can, you're going to be getting potassium from most of the foods that you eat, but roots and fruits, meat and seafood, dairy is another one where you can get a good amount, milk, cottage cheese, you know, Greek yogurt, that sort of thing. You're going to get about three to 600 milligrams per one cup serving. And then beans and legumes, another great source that's going to have lots of good fibers. Um, so that you, if you are someone that can tolerate those foods, then I would definitely include them. One cup serving is going to have four to 600 milligrams and then beverages, right? These are the ones where you're going to get the most bang for your buck, but I still think we should have a variety. We can get a little too caught up in the beverages, but coconut water is going to have a significant amount. Um, there's about 600 milligrams in one cup of coconut water. Aloe vera juice is another one. I always recommend the inner leaf, um, but there's 470 milligrams in half a cup of aloe. So it's another really great source. Um, those are my two like top favorite liquid sources and ones that I definitely recommend if someone is struggling with constipation as well. Um, and then drinking adrenal cocktails. So the food sources for sure, you know, getting potassium from food using sea salt on your meals, that's going to give you a nice mix of sodium and potassium in general. And then if you want to utilize adrenal cocktails as well, those are a mix of sodium, potassium and whole food vitamin C great for your adrenals. Of course, that's like where they get the name from. Um, they've got the nutrients that support healthy adrenal function. Vitamin C is very important for the stress response. Uh, and I have a ton of recipes on my blog. I'll link to the blog in the show notes. Um, but those are, those are like my top ways for getting, uh, some sort of increase in sodium and potassium. For adrenal cocktails, I always get like, how much do you have in a day? I would say like for most people, one to two a day is plenty. Um, sometimes when women are pregnant and breastfeeding, they need more. Sometimes if we're super stressed, we need more. And sometimes if you're craving them, then I would say like, just listen to that. Um, again, tons of recipes on my blog. The the basic, basic adrenal cocktail recipe that I love the most is four ounces of coconut water, 
quarter teaspoon of sea salt, and a lime. Um, you could also do this eight ounces of coconut water um, for more potassium if you want to get more. You don't have to use the whole lime. I like it very like limey, citrusy. Um, so you can make it work for you. And, and with adrenal cocktails, I would say you can't mess it up. I often get like messages online of people asking like, well, what if I did this, this, and this instead? Or what if I sub this? I'm like, you're probably still getting pretty close to the amount of sodium and potassium and vitamin C. I would just do what one you enjoy and two is easy for you that you know you're going to implement, right? If, if we look at the recipe and we're like, oh, I don't have all the things for it. I don't have time to make it. And it's not working for you. Then I would think about how can I alter this so that it will work for me. Um, I personally make like a two to three day batch of them like at a time and just have a big glass jug that I keep in my fridge because everyone in my house drinks them. So we usually go through it pretty quickly. So I make them in bulk because it's just not realistic for me to like stop and just make one. Um, and usually I'm making more anyway because my daughter's going to want one if I'm drinking it. So that's an easy way to do it. They also make powders now that are awesome. Like Jigsaw makes an adrenal cocktail powder. I'm going to be honest. It doesn't taste very good. So if you buy it, don't at me telling me how bad it tastes. Um, I know. So I usually will just mix it with a little bit of like diluted orange juice. Like if I'm traveling and I'm trying to make it easy for myself, I'll bring the powder and I'll just mix it with like diluted orange juice or coconut water or something. Our monthly cycle is like a report card. Understanding how to track your cycle and know what is and is not normal as far as symptoms go can help you identify possible hormone imbalances and whether or not a nutrition or lifestyle change you made is working for you. This is huge. So many of us are looking to experts and outside ourselves to figure out what's going on with our bodies, but tracking your cycle and understanding it can help you do that on your own. And this is why I created my free healthy period starter guide. It walks you through the different phases of your cycle goes through how to track, teaches you what's at the root cause of hormone imbalances, and even has a section on nutrition tips for healthy hormones. I think every woman should have this knowledge easily accessible to them. So if you want to grab the guide, you can get it via the link in the show notes or on my website, hormonehealingrd.com. But I usually use either Ravy, which is a powdered like coconut water blend. It's very high in potassium. Um, it has potassium, vitamin C, and only a little bit of sodium. So I add a pinch of sea salt to the Ravy powder. You just mix it with water. Uh, and then I also love Pickleball by Jigsaw. Again, that's very high potassium, not a ton of sodium. So I always add a pinch of sea salt as well. But those are make it so easy to have things on the go. If you're going on vacation, if you're getting back from travel and you don't have anything made, um, I also try to get more potassium because usually pregnant or breastfeeding. So that is one where I can increase it through that as well. Again, you want to get foods too. You don't just want to get supplements, but they can be very helpful. Um, and the Ravy one is food-based. So I'll link those in the show notes as well. The last big thing for replenishing minerals, like easy things that everyone can kind of get started with, is using topical forms of magnesium. If you have tested your minerals and you know that your sodium levels are good, then you could take an oral magnesium. But if you listen to the sodium and magnesium episodes from last season, then you know that if you have low sodium, you want to avoid magnesium supplements like the oral ones because they can actually lower sodium levels and make it very hard to increase low sodium and potassium. So that's one where if you haven't tested, don't worry. Topical types are usually where I recommend people start anyway. So you can get like a magnesium spray or a lotion. I love ancient minerals. Um, the spray is going to have more magnesium than the lotion will, but the lotion is really nice for people with sensitive skin. Um, I, they make a sensitive skin spray, but I've had clients still say that they're like, it's still sensitive. So the lotion usually works though. Um, they also may have like bath salts. You can just get a plain Epsom salt. I would just avoid anything that's got like fragrances and stuff in it, but just regular bath salts are good. A lot of other companies are starting to add magnesium to things too, like Humble Hive Co. I love them. They have like really good like beef tallow bombs and stuff. I, I get their sunscreen. Uh, it's like tallow based, but it has zinc in it. Uh, and they make a magnesium one now too. So very cool. So it's, it's much easier to find these sources. Um, but the spray lotion is very easy. You can always take Epsom salt baths too. If you have kids and you're like, I'm never 
have time to take a bath, then put it in their bath and then put your feet in. That's what I do with my daughter. Um, and that make that's like a great way to get regular exposure. But those are very easy, simple ways to get started with supporting your minerals that you don't necessarily have to have lab testing for. And they're the ones that are really good to address first before you dig into any other minerals. So hopefully you implement some of that if you have not already, but that's going to help support a healthy stress response because of that sodium and potassium and magnesium. So that's your minerals. The next big area, light exposure. This is one where it has a huge impact on our cortisol levels in both good and not so good ways. Like let's take blue light, for example. Blue light can actually stimulate cortisol production, which can be very helpful um, because we want to we want to get light exposure soon after waking. That's when our cortisol should be the highest in the morning. So you can say like you're struggling with energy, you think you're not responding to stress as well. So you want to support your cortisol levels. You can after you wake up trying to get outside within the first couple hours is a great way to get blue light in your eyes and to tell your body that it's daytime and you need to make cortisol. Um, you can also do it with artificial blue light, like in your home, turning on all the lights in your home or like one of those like happy lights or something. All those are going to make a difference. Um, but obviously, you know, natural blue light from the sun would be the best option. Even if it's not super bright out, it still helps. Um, I, so even by a window, whatever it is, trying to get some sort of light in the morning, it's a great way to boost cortisol production in the morning. This can also help with our cortisol pattern throughout the day because it should be highest in the morning peaks and then it should go down throughout the day and be the lowest at night so that we can make melatonin and then sleep. If cortisol is too high at night, it's going to oppose melatonin and your production will be lower. And then, of course, melatonin helps us fall asleep and stay asleep. So that can have a big impact on your sleep and quality of sleep and how you wake when you uh, get up in the morning. Um, so blue light's a big one. Uh, I think a lot of people are very aware of blue light now and they wear a lot of blue light blocking glasses. And we want to be mindful of that. You want to think about what does your blue light exposure look like throughout the day? Ideally, it's matching the sun, right? And this can help support healthy cortisol levels, especially in the morning time. Uh, so I personally use a ring light during the day. You can probably see it here, you know, um, and it's not just for the lighting, obviously on the podcast it is, but I use this when I'm working during the day because this, even though it's artificial blue light, this is still telling my body because it's, you know, it's so bright, it's like in my face that it is daytime. It, this is when we make cortisol. It's really great for focus. Uh, so it's something that I put on when I start working and then I'll shut it off usually around two o'clock when I stop because um, that's typically when my daughter's waking up. So it's one of those things where I think it can be very beneficial. I know a lot of people that act entrepreneurs uh, like friends and stuff that do this too. And it's, it's not just like the lighting effect. It's that it's like it can actually increase your cognitive ability and focus because it's impacting your cortisol during the day. And then you can turn it off when you're done working. Um, or I would still say like probably in the afternoon, turn it off. And then Ideally, you can kind of slowly reduce your blue light exposure as the day goes on, matching the sun. So this is going to tell your body, you know, okay, it was daytime. It's getting later in the day. We're working during the day. Of course, we're getting blue light from our computers as well. Um, but having that extra light and just that bright light can be helpful, especially if you deal with fatigue. I would definitely try it if you deal with fatigue. And I don't think it has to be any particular light, just like a regular like bright light. Um, and then as you go throughout the evening and nighttime, gets darker out, you can start to reduce your blue light in your home as much as you can, you know, whatever's realistic. Um, and then, of course, it's going to shift depending on the time of year. But that's going to help have healthy cortisol levels in the morning throughout the day. And then they should be decreasing as the day goes on. So remember, blue light equals makes cortisol cortisol promoting. We want that in the morning during the day. And then as we want our cortisol levels to drop and get us prepared for bedtime, we want that exposure to decrease. So of course, that's like devices, the lights in our home, all that, those types of things. If we can start to reduce those, then that's going to help. Um, I love dimmers. I don't know if anyone else has like a ton of light dimmers in their home, but that is one that I've really enjoyed. I didn't realize how easy they were to put in, but 
it's like it's one of those things where it's like you can slowly start to dim the lights um, as it gets later and later, but still have some light because for a while we use salt lamps, which are also great, great option. But I will say like the dimmers make it a lot easier, especially uh, with a kid because you need to see things at nighttime. I don't want her like bumping into stuff. So um, typically the, the I would say if you can do light dimmers, if you live, if you own your home, wherever you live, they're really easy to put in yourself. Uh, I've I've seen, I've had like friends in the past that like went way overboard with trying to reduce their blue light. And they actually removed like all blue light exposure in their home and it actually messed with their sleep because they weren't getting enough blue light. So yes, I, I feel like all we hear are negative things about blue light now, but it's like you want the blue light exposure during the day at the right time and then you want to slowly start to reduce it. If you feel very invested in this, get dimmers because I'm telling you they'll change your life. Um, and then you're not just like in the complete dark <laughs> once it's dark. Uh, but it's a, it's a big one. And I think it can have a huge impact, especially if someone's really struggling with low or high cortisol in the morning time, get outside or get some bright light in your face, even if it's artificial, and then really try to reduce that as you go throughout the day. This blue light will also have a big impact on our blood sugar, which is another reason it impacts our cortisol levels. Research shows that blue light exposure at night can reduce glucose tolerance and impact how much insulin we're releasing. So basically, this means that we can release less insulin after dark and have higher blood sugar levels, which will eventually lead to a low blood sugar and a release of stress hormones. So that's kind of another way. Not only can blue light exposure increase how much cortisol we're making, it can also affect how well we're using that glucose in our blood sugar levels, so which will increase cortisol as well. So light exposures, huge. Obviously, get outside. I mean, I think that everyone kind of knows that. Get outside as much as you can. It really does make a difference. That's why you sleep so well when you're outside so much because you're giving so much that blue light at the right times. And then, you know, you have less and less exposure. Um, so that's a really big one. That's light. Get light in the morning, reduce it throughout the day, use bright light in your face if you have to work in an office or at home um, and you're not outside, and then use dimmers to reduce it throughout the day and night. Okay, the next big area, information, inputs, and stimulation. This is a big one, and it's one that I felt like I had to include because, I mean, when I talk to like clients, women in my course community, and just even like friends and people in my life in general, I just feel like a lot of people are overwhelmed by the amount of information that's available today. We live in the information age and we are taking in more now than we ever have. It's estimated that people receive about 105,000 words a day or 23 words per second during their waking hours through their phones, TV, email, social media, podcasts, anything like that. And that's from 2019. So this is probably way higher now. In 2011, there was a study done that shows we get 174 newspapers worth of information a day. Uh, that's a lot. And that's only your leisure time. That does not include work time. And depending on the type of job you have, you could be taking in tons of information. I'm always taking in tons of research and stuff, so I can't even imagine how many newspapers I technically read a day. But it's a lot. It's a lot for our brains. They are amazing. Our brains can do really cool things. We have over a billion neurons that can make even more connections. But I really do wonder, like, how much information is too much? Um, if we think about it, it's like, I think now we get like 34 gigabytes of information every day. And this was, again, studied from like a few years ago. Um, one gigabyte is one truck full of paper. So that's 34 truckfuls of paper that we're getting exposed to. It's just so much that I don't know how it could not have an impact on someone's mental health and in physical health through the stress that it can cause. Um, but it's also a good thing because, I mean, we have so much information at our fingertips. It, we can get answers to our questions, especially with our health. And maybe we're not getting the information that we need from our doctors. So we're like going and doing our own research. I think it can be truly life-changing. Obviously, I put a ton of information out online, but I also think it can be a curse because a lot of the times people are experiencing overwhelm from how much they're taking in, and this can be so hard on a healing journey. I just really feel for people that 
are like struggling on their healing journey, don't really know where to turn because they are taking in so much information from so many different people. A lot of it's conflicting and it can make everything so confusing and stressful. This is in especially a lot of times, especially with like free information, because you're like just getting in as much as you can from a bunch of different sources. And it's not all like streamlined and made super easy for you to understand. So it's tricky. I think there's so many pros with the amount of information at our fingertips, but I think there's also a lot of cons. And I couldn't not mention it when it comes to healthy stress levels, because I think that if you're feeling overwhelmed or like you can't spend a lot of time on social media. Maybe you're not subscribing to all like the best newsletters, all that sort of thing. You're like, I don't really listen to that many podcasts. Like I know there's so many great like health podcasts and stuff. I think that's normal. I listen to pretty much no podcasts. Um, some of my friends have good ones and I listen to like a few episodes, but I just can't take it anymore than I already do. I have to like actively reduce it because it is too much. And especially just like the amount of research I do for my job. You know, maybe we have a hard client case or creating a podcast episode or making new resources for my master mineral students. Like the amount of reading, you know, that I'm doing, it's just so much. And then to also like open an app and try to like engage with people on there and see what all my friends are doing and all that. It's just like way way too much for me the majority of the time everyone's on threads now and i was like i made the account and then i went on there for like two seconds and i was like nope <laughs> i absolutely cannot do this um and i just think it's okay if you feel like that too if you're like hey i feel way better when i'm taking in less information yes we want to learn we want to constantly be growing but so often we're taking in a ton of information and we're not even taking action on it we're just getting like confused and stressed and just in this state of like freeze so I would really check the amount of information you take in, how you feel when you're reading something or following someone um, and put like boundaries and limits on that because I just find that most of the time people are just wanting more and more and more information, but they're, it's like, are you taking action on it? Is it helping you? Is it actually helping you move the needle or is it like keeping you from taking action and making you feel more overwhelmed? Because that is one thing where we have control over this for the most part. Um, so I think it's an area that could greatly reduce mental and emotional stress. But it's also one of those things that like a lot of us enjoy being online and engaging and reading things. Um, so just trying to find like what feels healthy for you, I think is so, so important. But take in less information. 34 truckloads. I was like, that's insane. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, definitely one of the most important ones when it comes to cortisol is our daily rhythm. So, you know, we couldn't talk about stress hormones if I didn't talk about how we're living every day because this is what leads to more stress hormones release, right? What pace are you living at every day? A lot of us are addicted to cortisol, stress hormones, and are addicted to constantly doing, being in that fight or flight state because that's what we're used to, right? Um, I think about women, especially I feel like women are extra addicted to cortisol. I know I absolutely was. And it's something that I do have to like check myself on a regular basis. Just having an online business, it's hard to not get caught up in things, but it's something where, you know, you feel more alert. You, you're like constantly doing, you're being productive. You're checking things off of a list. You can get addicted to those feelings. And it's definitely, even if you're not always being productive with it either, it could be like, constantly being on your phone and being stimulated, right? Or constantly being listening to a podcast episode, feeling the need to like have something going in your ear or visually being connected to something like 24 seven. I think all of those are signs that we're addicted to cortisol, feeling like you can only do intense workouts, right? Because like other, you need that like rush of adrenaline. Um, you don't like other workouts. It's like, it has to be super intense like coffee, being addicted to coffee is like a big one. Um, and like fasting, like being preferred to be like do a fasting and going long periods without eating. Not always, but I, I say like, that's like a big one that does stimulate a lot of cortisol release, um, and like false energy. So I always like to mention that, but a lot of us are living in a very fast paced, we're never slowing down. Our bodies are always in fight or flight. And so that's going to impact our stress hormones and our minerals. I have an exercise inside my Master Minerals course. It's called A Day in the Life where 
I have students reflect on what their typical day looks like. We do this with our one-on-one too. And I think it's really helpful when it comes to understanding like what pace are you living at and do you have a daily rhythm? Is this sometimes people don't even know. Um, like, so we just have you go through what does your typical day look like? Um, like, are you, what do you do? Like literally from like the moment you wake up till you go to bed. So, and sometimes people will just like write stuff down. Like they'll just, they're like, I don't really know. So they just like track it for a day, but you wake up, are you like immediately rushing out of bed or are you getting up eating breakfast and not like having something immediately to do. And, you know, some, I mean, I have a a toddler, so I know that that's sometimes I'm not like getting up and immediate, I am like immediately doing something. Um, but just what is the intention behind everything you're doing? Are you like, I got to do all these things. And like, are you super stressed or are you taking things like slower and like being present? Um, cause I think there is a way to like not have as much stress as society tells us that we have as moms. Uh, I think it's more about like your mindset and just the intention that you're taking with everything that you're doing uh, and not multitasking with everything. Although I know that that can be really hard sometimes. But what does that typical day look like for you when you wake up? Um, Are you rushing or are you like in late for things or do you give yourself plenty of time? Do you spend any time outside? You know, how much time are you getting outside? Sometimes when we track this, and we reflect on a day, we're like, ooh, I'm getting like way less time than I thought outside. Um, and sometimes that's all that's really possible for us. But again, it's good to know because then that's the person that I would say, if you're getting very little time outside, I would definitely get one of those lights for your desk. You know, like that could help. Um, and then, you know, the times that you can get outside, really try to maximize that like on the weekends. I also like to have people think about like, where are they eating their meals? Are you sitting? Are you standing? Are you working? Are you on your phone? What does that look like? Are you eating without distractions or are you super distracted? And that's probably impacting your digestion. And do you ever do just nothing? Or do you feel like you always have to be doing something and you feel very uncomfortable if you're not doing anything? That is something that it's going to impact our cortisol levels um, if we can never get out of that fight or flight state. I don't think it's our fault. And I would say like, if that is you, sometimes people are like, oh, that's just my personality. I'm like, that's that's just where your nervous system is stuck because that's all it knows. So we want to like very gently start to slowly get out of that fight or flight. And I would say we ne- this never happens overnight. This is why like when we do the exercise, you want to just recognize where am I currently at? How, what kind of pace am I living at? How stressed out am I throughout the day? Even if you're not necessarily moving fast, are you always listening to a podcast? Are you always stimulated? If you don't have your phone on you, are you uncomfortable and anxious? Like those are other things that I would consider as well. Because as we start to improve those, you can start to like really calm that nervous system and get out of that constant fight or flight. Then when you are in that fight or flight, you can feel it. Um, so it's something where, you know, most of us are living at a really fast, unsustainable pace. And that's a big part of why we have the health concerns that we do. And we're, you know, we're not going to change it overnight, but if we can just slowly start to take away at it, I think it's really important. Um, and it requires a lot of reflection, uh, just on what you're currently doing and a lot of honesty. Cause sometimes we're like, Oh, like we think we're relaxing and stuff at meals. And, and this can even happen like myself included, you know, all of a sudden you, it's like one day you do one thing at lunch and then it's like happening every single day. And you're like, I got to take this back. Um, or even like nighttime routines. <clears throat> I think about when my daughter started to sleep a little better and depend on me a little bit less at night, I would get better sleep and I felt more resilient. So I'd like stay up a little bit later to get some alone time with my husband. And then I was, you know, then I'm like in this routine where I'm staying up much later than I normally do. And I don't feel as good. So it's like, it's not about being perfect all the time. It's not about like always doing the right things because it's good for your health. It's about looking at how you're living, being a little more intentional, uh, and just starting with the basics. Like Just like with food, like I talked about in the previous episode, um, like if you don't currently eat breakfast, let's start there. Let's get a high-protein breakfast in the morning. When it comes to looking at your day-to-day, I also like to start in the morning. So are you rushing in the morning? Are you waking up late? Are you waking up really early? What does that look like for you and what do you have control over and how can we start to adjust that? A lot of people have really stressful mornings. It's like one of the most stressful parts of their day. We go through this with our one-on-one clients a lot and we're like, how can we minimize that? How can we change that and improve that for you? 
because that does have an impact on your stress hormones throughout the rest of the day. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes it's it's changing more your mindset or giving yourself like something really good and relaxing after a stressful morning. Like I have a older client that she is a mom and her mornings getting her kids out of the house insanely stressful and it really messed with her breakfast. So instead of like trying to do a full breakfast while also doing 80 other things, she started doing a smoothie in the morning and then she would get her kids all squared away and then she'd come back and make a breakfast for herself. And it was like calm, peaceful. She wasn't eating distracted. She would just enjoy it and enjoy the peace and quiet. And that was a great way to kind of mitigate the higher stress that she's experiencing like first thing in the morning with her kids um and so same thing it's like maybe you have like a commute oh i used to have a really long commute to work Uh, things like that can be so stressful maybe it's like listening to a podcast you really look forward to on the way or maybe it's like okay you're, you're super stressed in the morning but you know like on my lunch break i'm gonna go for a walk after i eat something like that like how can we like balance things out so that we're not constantly in that fight or flight um and putting ourselves on that cortisol and blood sugar roller coaster all day. So if we can support these things and slowly start making changes and just like assessing where we're currently at, I think that's what's going to help us improve everything. And it's going to make you feel better. If you have more balanced cortisol and blood sugar levels because you are being intentional with your food, your light exposure, looking at how you're living, even just working on your like what your morning looks like or whatever the most stressful part of your day is, like working on that, that's going to make everything more balanced. You're going to have more energy. You're going to make better food choices. You're going to be in a better mood. You're going to feel more resilient to stress. You'll probably sleep better. So a lot of these changes are not easy and they might not be like the thing that you want to do right now. You might just want to take a supplement. Um, you might just want to know like, you know, is there a specific herb or something that can help balance your cortisol levels? But we can't like out supplement stress, we cannot force our bodies to have healthy cortisol in mineral levels and hormone levels if we are living in this constant state of stress. Um, so I think it's something that if we can start to live at a slower pace or just be more intentional with the way that we're living, that paired with nutrition, a little blood sugar support, being mindful of like our light and how much information we're taking in. I just think those are really, that's how we look at the whole person and address stress holistically and support healthy cortisol levels. Um, so I hope that this was helpful for you guys and gives you some encouragement depending, you know, depending on which area you feel like you need to focus on the most, but yeah, there's a lot in this lesson. Don't do everything at once as always just pick one thing and chip away. And if you want more, join me inside Patreon, go to patreon.com slash hormone healing RD, and I will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Are You Menstrual podcast. If you want to support my work, please leave a review and let me know how you like the episode. This lets me know like what you guys want more of, less of. I read every single one and I appreciate them more than you know. If you want to keep learning, you can get access to the bonus episode and additional resources on patreon.com forward slash hormone healing RD. I'd love to have you in there. Thanks again. And I will see you in the next episode.